Are you measuring the success of your events by the stack of your business cards? You know, collecting names uh, shouldn't be your end goal. It's collecting the right names and then understanding how to follow up with them correctly and in a timely manner. Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Before we get started, I want to thank my sponsor partner, the Association of Commercial Professionals Life Sciences. ACPLS provides marketing, sales, and customer service professionals an international forum for the exchange of knowledge, including opportunities for ongoing education, networking, and professional development. Those networking and development opportunities have been very valuable to me personally, and I believe would be equally valuable to anyone listening to this podcast. To learn more, visit acp-ls.org. And while you're there, subscribe to the newsletter to receive content and activity updates. Now, let's get back to the show. Okay, welcome, and thank you for joining us. My guest on the show today is a modern marketing sleuth. Her job is to research, provide guidance, and deliver marketing expertise to customers by developing industry-specific best practices. She's the marketing principal focused on developing the industry center of excellence within the Oracle Marketing Cloud. Marilyn Cox, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining me. I'm really looking forward to this. I think we're going to learn a lot. Uh, We met a couple weeks ago at ACPLS, and I heard your talk and thought my audience would be really interested in this. And the timing is right because my last two episodes were all about marketing automation. So I think we're going to go just a little deeper on this one. Today we're going to talk about taking advantage of marketing automation around events. And in my experience, and I think this is true for most life science companies, events are the biggest line item in a Marcom budget. So anything we can do to spend those dollars wisely is worth thinking about. And at ACPLS, you talked about how Perkin Elmer had used automation to evaluate their event ROI. So first of all, can you tell me uh, what was their specific goal? Was this a one-time thing or is a program across many, many events? Yeah, no, Perkin Elmer was investing a great deal of money into their event strategy. Um, And they were doing this on an annual basis. And like a lot of organizations, uh, they didn't fully understand what type of value or return that they were seeing from each of these individual events. And so they wanted to be able to gain a better understanding by event of what that activity and opportunity looked like. Nice. So um, what is it? How, how do they set this up? How do they prepare to, to figure out um, what those opportunities look like? What are all the things that go around that and kind of the overall event strategy that they lay out for, for um, you know, a sequence of events? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that Perkin Elmer did is that they, they pulled back and instead of looking at each event as a singular tactic, they began to view them as these longitudinal programs that kind of fed into each other. Um, you know, one of the things that I explain to a lot of marketers is that um, 
people tend to view it as we have event A, event B, event C. We might have an invitation email that goes out beforehand. We talk to people and we check them in at the event and then we send a thank you for stopping by or sorry we missed you uh, email that goes out immediately after. But those conversations don't tend to build on each other and they don't flow into the rest of the communication and engagement that you might be having with an individual outside of the event. And so what PE tried to do is bring the events into the larger marketing strategy. And again, by taking that longitudinal look where they recognize that they may have attendees that they've met at previous events or that they've had previous phone conversations with or that um, have engaged with them via email or via social or they've had business relationships with and making sure that they picked up the conversation from that point um, as opposed to uh, viewing each one as a brand new conversation was very important. And they did the same thing at the end of the event as well. So not just sending that thanks for stopping by email and then expecting to start over with a brand new conversation or relationship. They made sure that those follow-up communications really flowed into um, a, a much more comprehensive nurturing type of campaign that would occur afterwards where they could provide that type of educational follow-up that was desired by uh, their audience. Okay, I love this. So first of all, an event has a longitude of its own because there's you know pre-communications and follow-up communications. And then in, on a bigger scale, on the strategic level, as you say, a, there's a conversation that goes on from event to event to event with, of course, the opportunities for other contact points in between. So then my other question is, you said, um, you know, specific content based on maybe social interactions. Are they customizing their content by, by uh, attendee? Like, are they going to that level? Yes, absolutely. They are looking to get as, as personal um, as possible with the type of communication that they have. And, and, and that really is a best practice across any type of communication. And when we talk about personalization, I always like to preface with, it doesn't necessarily mean you're just addressing the individual by their first name. It really is tying into previous engagement. Uh, we call it digital body language, where you can really understand what is that interest and in that activity of that contact, and then making sure that follow-on communications and content delivered aligns with that interest. Right. So you've accumulated some data on this person and their previous interactions with your company, and now you certainly don't want to send them a piece of content as a follow-up, for example, that you know they already have. And you're continuing to move them down the funnel based on whatever you already know about them. Absolutely. Beautiful. Um, so how do they how do they prepare for that? I guess we could talk about content, um, but what else goes into it? What are they looking at when they're trying to set up the things that go into this whole ecosystem? Yeah, I think those organizations that do it best sit down at the beginning of their calendar year or as they're planning out their marketing strategy for the fiscal year. And they evaluate what events that they're participating in and how those events kind of feed into each other, where there might be overlap with audience, where there might be overlap with messaging, and start from there. 
Um, next, of course, is, is fundamentals, and it's, it's something that we need to remember constantly, is, is identifying persona. So not all events provide you with that pre-attendee list that you can use. A lot of times you're responsible for creating your own based on traffic to your booth. So you want to understand what personas are going to be attending or are expected to attend, um, which of those personas are you interested in, and how are you going to make sure that you deliver that content and you attract that audience to engage that specific persona. Um, understanding the role of your sales force at the event or other uh, uh, event workers within your organization I think is also pivotal. And, and it's beyond just booth schedule. We all focus on who's going to be in the booth at what time and who's going to work demos. Um, but I think that you also need to understand who's responsible for driving that attendance, who's responsible for driving those conversations afterwards. And in the case of Perk and Elmer, one of the things that they put into place was this back-end website where sales reps could go in, they could log in, they could download promotional content that they could personalize and send out to their, uh, their audience, um, and they could also check in attendees at the event. And what's great about this is that Kirk and Elmer began to understand not just who was actually attending their event, but they could also begin to understand how their sales organization was leveraging the tools that were available to them and how engaged they actually were. And that really does play into where you're going to focus efforts when you consider uh, events for the following year and where you're going to make those investments. And then, of course, lastly, as you touched on, content, 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 content. It's huge. But you need to make sure that you are identifying the content that is really going to engage that audience before the event, at the event, and after the event, because that's really what's going to build that relationship. Excellent. So I love a number of things there. So I know you didn't talk to Guy Page, but he hammered on personas in the previous two episodes. Um, I know a lot of companies um, understand personas. They're aware of them. I think they're probably neglected to some degree and not taken advantage of the way they could be. I really like um, this idea of understanding the sales team's role. So they have access to content that they can use to personalize invitations and interact with people at the event, it's something I never thought of. So now the marketing team has a view into what will the sales team use, right? And where can we help them more as well as what will they never touch, right? Probably, <laughs> yes. right? So you're getting a little education there like this is not what they want to use for something like this. And I think that can be helpful for planning the next thing, which is content going forward, which you, which you described very well. So can you paint a picture for me of what, what goes on in the booth? Is there something special happening there? So now we've prepared, we've invited people, we've laid out the big picture. Anything special happening at the booth? Oh, you know, it probably depends on um, on the event that you're going to. You know, for some organizations, you're trying to drive session attendance. People tend to focus very much on, or quite a bit on, on lead development and lead capture, certainly important. Uh, I've seen a lot of different creative ways to do that. Um, I know 
Some uh, semiconductor manufacturers have actually created these sensors that when you walk into the booth, it automatically scans you. Um, so, you know, it certainly depends on, on the individual. In Perk and Elmer's case, I'm not exactly sure what their specifics were around the types of conversations that they were having. But one of the things they focused on was making sure that they were identifying those individuals that were interested in. Um, they didn't want to have a lot of uh, what we would call like filler content or contacts, um, because honestly, what that's going to start to do is skew your success metrics when looking at your events. Um, and I use the example, uh, you know, are you measuring the success of your events by the stack of your business cards? You know, collecting names uh, shouldn't be your end goal. It's collecting the right names and then understanding how to follow up with them correctly and in a timely manner. So I think that was a huge focus of what they're doing, and it's certainly a best practice for a lot of organizations as well. And to, to identify the right people, it's finding out product interest, buying, time frame, et cetera, right? Absolutely. And, you know, depending on the industry that you're in and, and the type of event you're going to, there might be information that you want to be collecting at the event that you're going to need for future revenue attribution. So an example I'll give is if you deal within an industry where you're doing a lot of um, contract work and you have architects or contractors that are coming by and they are uh, informing you about upcoming bids, collecting that bid number or that project number at the trade show is a great idea because you can then point back as revenue starts to come in um, where that relationship started and you can attribute some of that trade show revenue to uh, the, the revenue one um, from that, that specific contract. Right. So you, you've, you've uh, nicely jumped into my next topic. So interested in the analytics. So what kind of data are our companies pulling out from the, the thing? So you, you did mention revenue attribution, other, other things that we should be thinking about. Yeah. So revenue attribution is huge. Um, New contacts, new opportunities that you are identifying is certainly key. I think there are some other um, very tactical things that you can collect and gather that might help you in the future. So for example, I referenced if there are contract numbers or bid numbers um, or project numbers uh, that might be tied to opportunities, making sure that you collect those um, is, is always a great idea. Understanding perhaps what type of, and I'm of course in the technology world, but understanding what type of platform stacks they have in place is something that I always like to understand because it gives me a feeling for um, not just uh, preference when it comes to technology, but also maturity level within the organization. Um, for some organizations where you might be doing something tied to continued education credits or uh, continued education units, a lot of organizations host workshops at these types of trade shows and events, um, capturing not just when that due date is, which is important, but understanding as well how many credits that they've already accumulated for that year is good because that allows you to not only be proactive and promoting 
uh, upcoming workshops or CEU opportunities, but you can do it in a timely manner where you can reference, we understand that uh, your certification is up for renewal in six months, and we know that you have 10 more credits you need to earn. We have the following opportunities to earn those with us in the upcoming months at these events. So I think any type of information like that, of course, is also very pivotal. And then understanding uh, just interest, and I know that's a very broad term, and it does depend on industry, but that's going to really help drive future uh, content delivery as well. So if there is a particular topic maybe tied to safety or tied to a clinical trial, anything like that where that's where they have a particular interest, um, you can capture that information, tie it to that contact, and then make sure that that's the type of information that, that you are uh, delivering to that individual moving forward. Nice. So those examples you gave, mostly relevant to uh, more healthcare oriented, but there's an analogy in the life sciences, which is, uh, you know, maybe someone's coming around and they have a grant opportunity and there's a deadline for that. And so they're looking, you know, to submit a grant for funding and I would have never thought to capture the date of that and then put it in a subsequent email to them and say, hey, I know you have this deadline coming up. What can we, you know, how can we help you, you know, get your grant together, give you quotes, whatever it is, right? Absolutely. And that that is the essence of what true personalization should yeah. be when we talk about it in marketing. Yeah. That's nice. I, I love that. And then um, I think we talked previously and you mentioned you know, tracking costs of events as well. Yeah, tracking cost I think is huge. Um, there are several different uh, technology vendors that are very uh, proficient at that. That's not something within the marketing cloud that we specialize in. Um, but I think it's really important to understand not just the revenue generated, but you also need to understand the revenue spent. Um, and that extends beyond just this is how much we paid for the trade show booth, but this is how much we, we spent to send all of these individuals to the event and really capturing that. Um, and for some uh, different industries, I, I point to anybody that deals with uh, uh, physicians and the Sunshine Act and um, how you break out cost if you're hosting an event where you've invited physicians in. You really need to make sure, that, of course, that you can you can document against that. And in the case of Perkin Elmer, that's actually where they noticed tremendous um, benefit from implementing this type of program. So for some organizations, you might go, hey, we invested in these events and we ended up generating, you know, $2.5 million um, from all of our events that year, which is a great number to point to. In the case of PE, what they actually did is they identified a series of events that they just didn't get the return that they desired. And so they actually pulled back from that and they cut um, in one fiscal year $345,000 from their event budget. Now, the story to the, or the, the lesson to be learned from this isn't, well, does that mean you lose 345000 from your marketing budget? In the case of PE, what they did is they reallocated that money to events that were delivering a greater return 
so they could have a bigger booth, a greater presence. They could improve their uh, engagement or have more individuals travel down for um, for their attendance. So I think that that's one of the greatest takeaways is that it's just going to help you focus your efforts and focus your dollar where you're going to see the greatest return. Right. And that's that's really what it's you know, the way I was hoping to get to, that was, you answered my last question because as when I was a Marcom manager, Marcom director, it, it was just hard to figure out and to be able to say to the salespeople, you know, I can show you data that this event was not successful regardless maybe of your personal opinion of your interactions or whatever for the, for the business as a whole, we can spend our money and make more money somewhere else. And that's, um, and that's kind of the, for me, it's a holy grail of marketing is to know you're spending your money in the right places. And there's no more mysterious place than in on events, it seems. so. Absolutely. And I know that tends to be a very hotly debated topic between marketing and sales because sales uh, believes very uh, fervently that they get a lot of value out of events. And the conversation that I would have with sales teams um, – years ago when, when I ran a marketing organization was our objective is not to take away trade shows from you. We don't want to do that. We want to make sure that we send you to the right trade shows where you're going to actually get opportunity. And, and, and that's what our goal is because it may be that we've invested for three years in, in trade show A and nothing's resulted from it. Meanwhile, if we had been sending you to trade show B, which we've never participated in, that actually is going to deliver you greater return. So it, it, it really is, I think it's important that it, that's communicated to the sales organization as much as it is to the marketing organization. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, I like that you point out the opportunity cost because there's always an event that you haven't gone to that, um, and it's the easiest thing to do when you're planning your budget for the year is to say, we're going to go to the same events. Yes. <laughs> so, um, Figuring out that you know you should try a new event once in a while is worth doing. So I love all this. I really appreciate your sharing the insight. Is there a URL or an email you'd like to share where people can go learn a little bit more about what you do and this solution? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so people can always reach me on email. My email is Marilyn, M-A-R-I-L-Y-N dot E dot Cox at oracle.com. I can also be found on LinkedIn, Twitter, Google+, Facebook, Words with Friends. I'm all over the place. Very easily accessible individual. And uh, I always invite people to reach out to me. Um, I, I thrive on conversations that I have with individuals. It's how I learn. I love to do information sharing. Um, I, I just... I think it's just a, an amazing industry to be a part of because it really is a transparent ecosystem. Nice. And speaking of information sharing, you have a podcast of your own, right? I do. Yes. We have a, a weekly podcast called Vertical X, um, and I'm more than happy to provide um, links to that. It can be found on iTunes, of course. And we speak with different um industry thought leaders, because one of the things we try to do is really bring together different ways of approaching um, business challenges and, and marketing challenges across various industries. A lot of times you find that there's a lot of cross-pollinization opportunity when you see what other industries are doing, and we try to make that visible to, uh, to everyone. 
Excellent. So we will include uh, your email and your Twitter handle, et cetera, in the show notes as well as a link to your podcast. And Marilyn, I really thank you so much for your time today and just filling us in on, you know, how we can all make our events a little, you know, our event dollars go farther. Awesome. Thanks again, Chris. Thank you. Thank you, as always, very much for listening. Hey, would you do me a favor? I would love to bring you uh, more great guests, and uh, I'd like to know who you would like to hear from. So if there is someone that you would like me to interview on the show or a topic that you would like to have covered, send me an email. My email address is chris at words, the number two, wow.com. Uh, Thanks very much for helping out with that, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.